Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. I tell you what, I, I just wish I was uh, as incredibly gifted as those guys are. I've been serving in uh, my community now for over 20 years, and an area of deprivation, an area that you might say is struggling in some ways or another. I just wish I'd had the gifting of a rapper. I reckon it would have given me some kind of edge within the community. But I suppose I've learned many things from my time in the neighborhood, and one of them is to not try to be cool when you're not. I've learned the importance of trying to be yourself, and, and, and um, actually I've really learned that Jesus has got this amazing ability to take our giftings and the needs of the neighborhood and beautifully mold them together for his kingdom purposes. Being who we're created to be, valuing our uniquenesses and and trying to be somebody else is not going to get you there. We really need to stick to what God has spoken over our lives and begin to outwork that where we live. I've learned that trying to be cool is a serious, serious mistake. Like young people in particular will find it out. They sniff it out within the first couple of minutes. One of my favorite things that our Eden team used to do was this open mic night. We used to open our tiny Sally Army Hall uh, to about 200 young people, standing room only, that would do these rap battles each and every month. It was quite incredible. But the language was so appalling. And the, the death threats and the kind of gang affiliation that was sung about or rapped about was so bad that we were always trying to police it and police it badly. The things they said about each other's mums was just horrific. And I thought it'd be brilliant if I could try and infiltrate into the community. I thought it'd be brilliant if I could get into the culture, incarnational style, if only I could be a rapper. And so I prepped and I prepared to be able to enter a rap battle one month. I thought I could set a good example. I could, I could show them a different way, be a new standard. I'd, I'd, I'd be lyrically positive. I thought I could um, call out the best in young people. I could remind them of their God-given potential. I could tell them that they're fearfully and wonderfully made in beautifully poetic and yet prophetic words. Telling them God's purpose for their life. A blessing and not cursing. Bigging up instead of tearing down. I prepared and I prepared hard. The moment arrived. The next rap battle, I was ready for my chance. And amazingly, I got put up against a guy whose name rhymed. His name was Zekel Bob Manuel. And I thought that gave me an advantage from the very beginning. He went first. He said some incredibly horrible things about my mum. He's never even met my mum. And I was trying to bob back and forwards, trying to get myself in time with the beat for my moment to fire back with passion and purpose. And it was horrible and deeply humiliating. And I was laughed off the stage. And I remember just retreating to the kitchen of the church where we're like, hid for the rest of the time. I am not a rapper. I have less rapping ability than the cookie monster Andy Hawthorne. 
I've learned that authenticity is essential. People watch your life very closely, especially in estates like mine where, you know, my, ha- my uh, neighborhood is made up of very tiny streets, narrow terraces with two up, two down that are separated by a tiny, tiny thin wall. I remember getting told off by my neighbor for weeing too loud because my toilet and her bed were separated by only like the thinnest of bricks. It was humiliating. You can't escape people's gaze. People are watching, whether it's not just our words, but our lifestyle too. People are watching what we do and how we live. I remember once um, my car was being broken into one night. I was woken to the sound of two youths crowbarring the door back so that they could get inside. And I kind of jumped out of bed and pulled aside the curtains and climbed up on the windowsill. And I began to shout at the top of my voice, Oi! Get out of my car. I began to say, I know where you live. I know who your parents are. Are you in my youth club? Have you heard me rap? And um, I didn't say that bit. Uh, To my astonishment, though, they got out of the vehicle and ran away up the street. And uh, I noticed the lights began to come on in the houses on the street and people are in the windows. And I'm like, this is a victory moment. We have overcome The street is safe, everybody. And it was at that point as I began to wave to the neighbors that I realized they were stood stark naked in the window. I was like Gollum, like from Lord of the Rings. I was like, ha, how do we make this go away? The neighbors that day knew a little bit too much about me. I've learned many things on my time in Eden. The inconvenience of love, the complexity of poverty, the cost of disciple making, the pain of rejection from those you've served, the rhythm, the regular rhythm of sacrifice needed, the importance of a long-term approach and the power of receiving. Never did I know that receiving was gonna be one of the most powerful powerful ministry tools available. I turned up at my community with everything that I needed, a car full of belongings, self-sufficient and ready to serve. My job was to give, to support, to help and to share. And I never understood just how significant receiving would be. I've thought about being the hands and feet of Jesus, but I forget that Jesus' hands received and Jesus' feet were blessed and anointed. I remember a powerful moment when me, me and my wife had been working through infertility and I'd, I'd shared it with this guy I'd been ministering to. He was an addict, a broken addict, but we'd somehow been bonded together. Christ had given me this beautiful friend to journey through life and I, I was sharing the brokenness of our circumstances. And he began to minister to me. This is a guy who who should have nothing I've come to make a difference to. I've come to fix you. And yet he, in this moment, is ministering to my heart the grace of Jesus, the peace of Christ. And he journeyed through the adoption process with me. He was like my buddy. Every, Every week he'd be asking for news. Have you got a kid yet? Have you got a kid yet? Is there any news? And I got to share with him. I said, oh, there's a little girl on the way and I told him the story and he says I've been waiting for this moment 
Then he took me to the back room of his house, a, a house that you could only really describe as a drug den. Took me to the back room of his house. And there he kind of pulled a sheet off this thing that he'd been making and it was this beautiful doll's house. This is a 50-year-old guy who's never had a job in his life. This is a guy struggling with addiction each and every day, but he spent time to craft this thing. He didn't steal it. He's made it. It's his handiwork. And he shows me round it. He wants to show me the details of each and every room as he brings the door back on the doll's house and he's like, this is where the bedroom can be. And he'd found carpet, he'd gone to the local carpet shop and asked for some ends. Every room was carpeted, every wall was wallpapered. And he said to me, he said, I just don't know how to get the electrics in. I'm like, this thing does not need electric. He wanted to put little light bulbs in every room. It was his gift to me. And I was like overwhelmed in this moment. I've come to serve you. I've come to fix you. And he's like, I'm here with you. And I'm like overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I've learned many things. But the thing I've learned, the most important thing, is the heart of God for the poor. I thought I had it. I thought it was the, my heart and my passion for the poor that would, would lead me to be downwardly mobile, to move from the suburbs into the city. I thought it was my passion for the poor. But it was only when I was exposed to poverty that Christ began to show me his heart. The theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says this, you say you care about the poor, then tell me, what are their names? It was only as I got to know those who were struggling, only as I was welcomed in to the lives of my neighbours that I began to experience God's incredible, overwhelming love and passion for the poorest in our nation. I remember working with a local dad who was fighting to get his children back. They'd been taken by social services. His kids had been seen eating out of a wheelie bin in our community and they'd been removed into care. The dad was battling addiction and he'd asked me for help. I remember going to see him one morning, trying each and every day to try and get him into a rehab centre. And so I had to visit him every morning. And one morning as I turned up, he couldn't open the door. It was clear that the cops had been there the night before and they'd booted the door in. And so he removed this small bit of cardboard and made me climb into his house through the boot hole created by a policeman. Climbing in on my knees into a drug den, no carpet on the floor, very few furnishings, one old sofa that was his bed. Such brokenness. But it's there in the brokenness that I experience God's heart for the poor, that I'm overwhelmed by his love for the least of these. I remember returning home from holiday, a nice Christian holiday, to a Christian conference in the summer and found that a, a homeless man had made my porch his home for the week that I was away. I had to wake him to get back inside and he said it was the only place that I knew that was safe. 
And so I welcome him in and I give him a shower and I make him a hot meal and he goes away with fresh clothes, my clothes, as he leaves to try and find somewhere else to stay. And it's in that moment that I experience the heart of God. Wow. How he loves. How he loves the poor. I once was asked to go with the RSPCA to... Um, they needed like an appropriate adult to go with them as they removed a dog from this guy in my community. And so I traveled with them and out comes this emaciated dog. And they were so angry at the state of this dog as they scooped up the dog and took it away. But I'm like, but did you see the owner? Did you see the old fella? More emaciated than the dog that's been taken from him. And in that moment, I experienced the heart of God for the poor. I remember walking through Manchester city centre, this city, our city, one night, and I, I saw a homeless man sat just near the car park where my car was parked, and so I stopped for a moment to sit and talk to him. And I realized that I recognized him. He was the dad of some of the kids that come to my kids' club. And so I introduced myself to him again. And I said, you're not homeless, are you? You live in Openshaw, near me. I said, what are you doing here? And he said he was begging because it was the only way that he could feed his children. And then he asked me for a lift home. I got to take a homeless man home, but not to my home, but to his home. And I got to witness the moment when he goes inside and his kids are there waiting for their dad. And I experienced the heart of God for the poor and my heart grieves and my heart breaks. But maybe that's just what happens when Jesus gives us his heart, sometimes there's a breaking that needs to happen within us. What does passion for the poor feel like? If I was talking to you this afternoon about a passion for fashion or a passion for football or a passion for food, I'd be talking about the things that fill me up, the things that make me happy, the things that bring me joy. My passion is entertainment. My passion is fun. My passion is my hobby. But the passion for the poor is not this stuff. Passion for the poor distresses me. At times it ruins me. A passion for the poor hurts just a little bit. It's intense. It's vis visceral. It's a burden that at times leaves me weeping. But would I wish it to go away? No way. I know there's blessing here. I know that it's Jesus who opens our eyes to see the poor. And I never want to be blind. I know it's Jesus who turns our ears, tunes our ears to the voices of the destitute and I never want to be deaf. I know it's Jesus who stirs our hearts for the broken and I never want to be apathetic. It's Jesus who aligns our hearts with his. He feels what I feel 
and he fills us with his compassion and he moves us to act and he anoints us so beautifully with his spirit to bring good news to broken people and to the poor, to the lost. He brings us an anointing that enables us to bind up, to heal in his name those who are brokenhearted. He gives us anointing and anointing that frees and enables a freeing to come to captives. I don't want to give up that anointing. Never. I was once asked why I bother. Why do you bother? What's with the poor? Why do you bother? My answer is because God's bothered. Because God loves the poor and he hates injustice. And poverty is an injustice. And it's an injustice against God himself. It's an insult to him. Poverty is, is an offence to God who calls himself the defender of widows, the father of the fatherless, the protector of the foreigner. Poverty is an attack on the one who says that he makes you and I in his image. He doesn't just make the rich in his image. He makes us all in the image of himself. Why do I bother? Why do I bother? Because God's rescue plan is to send Christ into poverty. His only begotten son, the immortal, made mortal, taken on flesh and to become like us. But he doesn't become like the affluent and the rich, but like the broken and like the poor. He's born into shame and he's born a refugee. And Jesus is the one who goes on to say, the blessed are the poor the weak and the hungry. In his final teaching, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says these incredible words. Some call them a parable, but this is clearly far, far more prophetic. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, may we be the righteous. May we be a church marked out like this, I pray. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Why do I bother? What's with my passion for the poor? 
Well, Jesus identifies himself as the poor. It's Jesus in this passage who identifies himself as the hungry, as the stranger, as the naked, as the sick, as the prisoner. Jesus tells us this is him. Why do I bother? Because I see Jesus in the face of the Father who welcomes me into his house through the hole made by a cop. Because I see Jesus in the old man, destroyed, hungry, losing his dog. Because I see Jesus in the homeless man I find sleeping in my doorway. Because I see Jesus in the father that is having to beg to raise funds to feed his kids. And Jesus says when we serve these men. Jesus tells me when I serve these men, I serve him. And it's the song of worship that I want to sing. There's some beautiful worship songs out there. We've sung a great load today. But the song I want to sing, the worship that I want to bring, is to serve the least of these, knowing that I'm serving Christ himself. What a passion, what a privilege it is. What an honor it is. You know, to have a passion for the poor is to have a passion for Jesus. I hope like me that you hope that one day you'll hear the voice of the king. I hope one day you'll hear him call your name. Come. Come, says the king. Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Come. Hear him say, come. Come, you who are blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. I want to be in the crowd called blessed. I want to be on the right side. I want to be a sheep. I want to be identified as the ones that Jesus says, come, come, come this way, you blessed. But it comes with a blessing now. And the blessing is a passion for the poor. A blessing he wants to give us each of us, today, this afternoon, in this moment. I believe he wants to open our eyes again to the plight of the broken in our society, to open our ears to be attentive to the cries of the poor. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.